0: Do we have any questions? Yes, we have some questions.
1: The first one is, uh, it's apologies for this immature question, Michael. My love for Giri Pradakshana has only multiplied many folds since the first time I went around Arunachala. I want to do Giri Pradakshana every single day, but in these days it is not possible to do so without footwear. With the development of tar roads at Arunachala, it is extremely difficult to walk around uh, without footwear. If we walk around Arunachala without footwear, the small stones along the path and the tar road cause so much pain to the feet that instead of concentrating on Arunachala, one tends to concentrate on placing the next step where there are no stones. With this, the entire concentration on avoiding is on, avo- is on avoiding pain rather than focusing on Arunachala when circumambulating it. Did Bhagwan ever recommend walking around Arunachala with footwear if one feels he/she cannot concentrate? On Arunachala during production, what are your thoughts on this?
0: Um, Someone asked a similar question about this a few months ago. I forgot at that time, but one thing I wanted to say, uh, I I thought of saying afterwards, that is, Bhagavan won't directly give do's and don'ts, but he gives us hints. Um, And when people, um, when people asked if it's permissible to go round in a vehicle, or with footwear, in the case of vehicle, he said, yes, the the vehicle will get the punya. Or in the case of footwear, he said, your footwear will get the punya. That is a subtle way of indicating that the appropriate way to go around is to walk barefooted. Of course, we're not doing it for punya. We're doing it for love of Arunachala. If we truly love Arunachala, if we truly love doing Giri Pradakshina, a little bit of discomfort in the feet um, is not going to be a problem and very very quickly if you walk barefooted you'll very quickly get used to it obviously it's it's a problem if you if you want to go around in the middle of the day then the roads are very hot. It's very difficult to walk walk on the roads barefoot in the in the very hot sun. But it it is also not very wise to go around in the middle of the day because it's anyway it's too hot. So normally people go around in the evening or at night time or in the early morning. Then the roads are cool. And um, when I was there, I did um, I was doing every day for many many years. And often we'd be going in the dark even, and the feet very quickly get used to it you you okay occasionally you you tread on a particularly sharp stone and you may feel a little, but it's um once you're used to it it's it's really nothing um it's not it's not um I mean it's. In the times I was there, it was extremely rare to see anyone going with any footwear. Sometimes when the big crowds came for deepam you'd see one or two people going with footwear. But almost, almost, I'd say 99.999% of people I ever saw doing Geary production all walked barefoot. It's only nowadays but it seems to have slowly crept in But it's something... Um, it's something acceptable to do. Um, I mean, of course, Bhagavan won't give do's and don'ts, but when he gives us such clues, the implication is the, 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 the proper way of doing it, the respectful way of doing it is barefooted. Just like when we enter a temple, we don't tend to wear shoes on. It's, it's It would be disrespectful to enter a temple with shoes on. If we are just walking on the road in the daytime, if we're not doing it as de the Productioner, then walking i mean walking with shoes on is not always uh, uh chapels with uh, flip flops or whatever is not uh is not wrong but if we're doing it particularly to do Giri Productioner, that is an act of worship and the appropriate way to do it is barefoot but as i say bhagwan will not give dos and don'ts so you're free to do it as you as you like but it's good to... Bhagavan often gives us hints. It's up to us to take the hint or not. So I think when Bhagavan said um, to people, if someone asked, is it okay, people say, I come from um, uh, from Bombay, I'm not used to walking barefoot in the city, we always walk with shoes on, so is it okay if I walk with shoes on? I well, would say, okay, yes, well, your, your shoes will get the punya. What, we should think about it, what does Bhagavan indicate by that? But if we want to do it the proper way, we should do it with um, uh, we should do it barefoot. And there are also stories in Puran- the Puranas that Bhagavan used to, to sometimes tell these stories. One of the stories is the, the story of Badranga uh, Pandya. He was a, a king, and um, he, one day he was he was hunting. And he was hunting in the vicinity of Aranachala and he saw a civet. A civet is a, a, a type of wild cat, but, a wild cat, but has a, a particularly um, fragrant uh, odor. So he wanted to catch this civet alive. So he was chasing the civet on his horse. And it so happened the, the civet ran the whole way around Aranachala and the horse also following also ran. And as soon as they completed one round, the the horse and the civet fell down dead. And the king fell to the ground, because his horse died. He also fell to the ground and he felt so, so um, overcome with, uh, with tiredness. He wasn't even able to stand up. And while he was lying there on the ground, he saw rising out of the two bodies, the body of the horse and the civet, Two divine beings, two Gandavas or um, some such uh, divine beings, and they thanked him, saying, "But because of um, because of some wrong they had done in previous birth. Oh yes, I know they had um, they had done some wrong to the sage Duvasa. Duvasa was a, a a rishi who was very noted for his anger. So he they had done some wrong to him, knowingly or unknowingly, and he had cursed them." To um, to be, uh, I know what it was. Duvasa had a flower garden where he was growing flowers for his Shiva puja, and these two Gandavas once uh, came across his flower garden, gar- garden, and they were enamored by the beauty. And one of them was plucking the flowers and smelling them, and the other one was to see all the different types of flowers was trampling here and there. So he cursed the one who was trampling over flowers. He should be born as a horse. And the one who was smelling the flowers should be born as a civet. Um, So that was the curse. When he cursed them, they were repentant and they fell at his feet and, and begged for forgiveness. And he said, because you're repentant. I will give you a boon. On earth, there's a hill, Arunachala. You will do production of that hill. As soon as you do production of that hill, you will regain your previous form. So uh, telling this story, the, the two Gandavas uh, thanked the king. And the king said, but I have also done uh, Giri production. Um, so, but uh, how come I lost all my strength? i should have been benefited and they said no to do giriprakna you have to do it barefoot you shouldn't do it on a vehicle you did it on a horse so you've lost your strength but Gandavas then told him but in your previous birth you were um you were indra the the, the king of heaven and uh, the, the highest god in heaven but because of uh, some sins you did you had to be born on earth as a mere king so if you want to regain your position as Indra, you you should do Giri Pradakshana. So the king then um, handed over the administration of his kingdom to his ministers, and he settled in Tiruvannamalai, and every day he was doing Giri Pradakshina. He started doing Giri Pradakshana with the desire to become uh, Indra. But as he was doing it more and more and more, slowly, slowly, the desire dropped off him. After three years, Lord Shiva appeared before him and said he was pleased with his devotion and asked him what boon he wished to pay, pray for. Um, and he said, I don't want anything. I just want love for your feet. I just want uh, uh, to be united with you. And so he re- he attained moksha. So though he started off with a desire, a worldly desire to become re- to regain his post as Indra, that desire dropped off, and finally he wanted nothing but to surrender himself. That illustrates the efficacy of Pradakshina, But that story also I- illustrates that the Parakshana should be done barefoot. So this was a story, but Bhagavan, this is a story from the Puranas. But Bhagavan also used to tell this story. And on the Giri Pradakshina road, there's actually a shrine uh, to Duvasa. And once when Bhagavan was doing Giri Pradakshina, uh, um, some devotees, whenever they came to any important points like the Ashtalingas or any important point, they were prostrating to the hill and they were doing everything in a devotional way. And when they came to the um, to Duvasa shrine, they went round the shrine. Some of the other devotees were just taking this as a nice walk, so they weren't really paying much attention to, to the shrines and to doing things in a devotional way. So they just walked past Durvasa. Then Bhagavan stepped off the road. He walked around Durvasa and he said, we can igno- afford to ignore all the other shrines, but we should be very careful not to ignore Durvasa. Of course, Bhagavan said that jokingly, but it was also a teaching But we're doing Giri Pradakshina, this is an act of devotion. We should do it in a devotional way. So I, I hope that adequately answers your question. The choice is yours, whether you do it with bare fruit or whatever, however you do it, you can do it in any way you want. But Bhagavan has indicated very clearly what is the proper way of doing it. So it's up to us to make the decision for ourselves And now that person has written a note, only barefoot going forward. Thank you, so yeah, um, yeah. We, we we have to Boban is a very subtle teacher. he one won't give do's and don'ts but he'll he gives us very good clues and we we need to we need to be alert to those clues and to follow them.
2: Should we move on to the next question yes, Michael? Yes, yes.
1: Um, could you uh, please explain the meaning and implication of verse 77 of Sri Arunachala Akshar Manamalai where Bhagwan sings, Oh, Arunachala, who shine devoid of attachment, destroying the attachment of those who come to you with attachment, graciously destroy my attachment to the body as I, particularly the claws. destroying the attachment of those who come to you with attachment, because it is said that Arunachala will not devour us until we are willing to be devoured. Second question, is there a particular reason why Bhagwan uses the analogy of a mother's love for her child in this verse, and not the recurring theme of marital love. Is it because the mother is obligated to love her child like Arunachala is obligated towards his devotees? Thank you.
0: Yes, yes. I mean in, this, in, in the case of this verse, Bhavan is saying, like a mother, it's your duty. In the case of verse 6, He doesn't mention duty, but he implies it is the nature of a mother. Um, So that is why he uses this. uh, He's using that as as an analogy of course we shouldn't we shouldn't we we, we should understand our actual love and uh, grace is something infinitely greater than a mother's love but in human terms in terms of human relationship the selfless love that a mother has for her child is the it's the it's the best analogy we can give not that it is in any way comparable but it is we can we can It's the closest we can come in terms of human relationships. Um, This is a love song. This is first and foremost a love song. It's all about love because we should remember Bhagavan often said, Bhakti is the mother of jnana. That means love is the key to success in this path. We cannot succeed in this path without all-consuming love because we cannot investigate uh, to the extent to which we investigate ourselves. We are thereby surrendering ourselves. So until we are willing to surrender ourselves wholly, we cannot succeed in this path. So all-consuming love is is absolutely essential. So this this uh, song is all about love. So Bhagavan is using. Is 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 exploring the, the 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 nature of love in so many ways. So the love that the mother has for a, a child. He uses that as an analogy. Though the primary um, the primary um, barber of this song is uh, is uh, is the bridal barber. That is, uh, Bhagavan is taking himself as a young girl who is seeking um, marriage union. Um, with uh, her beloved Lord Shiva, Arunachala. Um, so, uh, but just because that's the main theme doesn't mean he doesn't refer to love in all its various different forms. Um, regarding verse uh, 77, um, uh, the, the literal meaning of that is. Are who shine without abhimana, um, destroying the mana of those who, sup who supper having mana. Um, uh, wait a second, man gone
2: Yeah, it,
0: so the, the this verse doesn't actually. It is not an explicit prayer, it's an implicit prayer. He this verse is just describing Arunachala. Arunachala is that which shines without Abhimanam, destroying the manam of those who come with having mana, um, those who approach him having mana. Manam means uh, manam or abhimanam means attachment and identification. Um there's no one word in English but adequately translates. Um, I mean, basically, manam and abhimanam basically mean the same. There's no one word in English that adequately um, translates this. Um, the nature of ego is often said to be abhimanam because ego attaches itself to a body and takes that body to be I. So, abhimanam. Uh, conveys the meaning both of attachment and identification. Um, in, in more normal uh, terms, anything that you take to be mine, you have Abhimanam ab- for it. Supposing you you have um, uh, you've got a beautiful car or a big bank balance or something. You feel this is mine, That that when you say this is mine, that is an identification. And so you're attached to it because it's yours. If it was someone else's um bank account, you wouldn't be attached to it. It's because it's my bank account. I've got so many um uh, so many uh, uh millions of dollars in my bank account, so it's mine. That that is that that is the abhimanum. But abimanum can be for anything. E- even in ordinary language, abimanum is used to refer to ordinary the, the pride, normal pride that people have, but private it but in a worldly context is considered good to have you should have pride in your in your um in your uh in your honor in your the way you behave in society and everything that that is the ordinary sense but in a spiritual sense uh, abhimanyam uh, refers to that ego uh, uh, to ego, whose nature is to be always attached to the body. So the ego is often referred to as de the attachment or identification to a body. So Arunachala shines without any uh, uh, abhimanam. Ab- ma- abimanam also means pride, it means desire, it means attachment, it means identification. Arunachala is completely devoid of all abhimanam because Arunachala alone exists he's ekamayata dwitem one only without a second so there's nothing other than himself for him to uh to be attached to or to identify with or to be proud of or to have desire for so he's totally devoid of abhimanam but the nature of ego is to have abhimanam so those who who um uh that is um Manam paba. that that um can also mean who suffer, those who suffer having abhimanam, having ab, having manam. That is the, the root of all ma, abhimanam is the dehabimanam. The nature of ego is dehabimanam. It's always it has that attachment, that identification with the body. And so we suffer accordingly. But if we come to Arunachala, he will destroy our abhimanam. That is the meaning of this. So, Bhagavan isn't directly asking for destruction. He's just um, he's just indicating in this verse. He's praising Arunachala as that which is devoid of abhimanam but destroys the Abhimanam of those who come to him suffering from Abhimanam. So why do we come to Arunachal? Why do we come to Bhagavan? Because we're all suffering from with the Abhimanam that we have with this uh, day Abhimanam and all the other forms of Abhimanam that uh, are, come along with this day Abhimanam. Root, the root abhimanam is, is ego but dehabhimanam so we are suffering because only because of this abhimanam if we come to our natural he will um uh he will uh he will dis- he will destroy our abhimanam so um yeah i i hope that this adequately um well, at least gives a, a rough idea of what Bhagavan is saying here. I'm sure when, when I come to this verse, I'll probably have thought about it more deeply and will have more to say about it. But this is a very, very significant verse. It's a, Well, every verse in Akshayam is significant in its own way, but this is a very important verse. This is revealing to us the nature of Arunachala and the benefit that we stand to gain by taking refuge in the feet of Arunachala, because he shines ever without attachment. When we come to him with attachment, he will destroy our attachment. And of course, when Bhagavan talks about Arunachala, it, it can be interpreted in two levels. It can be interpreted if we come to the external form of Arunachala, that external form will destroy our Abhimanam. But how that external form will destroy our Abhimanam? By turning us within to the true form of our nature, which is ever shining in our heart as I. So the, the part of the process of his destroying the Abhimanam is by turning our attention back within. Because only when our attention is turned back within to see ourselves as we actually are, will our Dehabhimana be destroyed.
2: Uh, Michael, there aren't uh, any other questions here right now. Okay, let me keep quiet. <laughs> keep quiet for a bit. Yeah, and we can meditate for a bit until a question comes up. Ah, uh,
1: so there is one now. Oh, so. Yeah, somebody has written that this verse is all in a trance, hence no questions.
0: <laughs> the Abhimanam has been destroyed. Only when the Abhimanam is
2: destroyed do we become quiet. I'm sorry, Michael, can I ask a question?
0: Yes, yes, please do.
3: Um, hello, Michael, thank you very much. I would like to um uh, a little bit clarify about... Um, Giri Productioner. Yes. Um, I mean, that uh, this, um, you said that it is worshipping when uh, you go around uh, Arunachala barefoot.
0: Yes. And uh, well, when I say worshipping, I mean it's an act of devotion, it's a way of expressing our love for Arunachala. But uh, I I don't limit it to just being a a, a, that is what is Giri Productioner. We can't really. what is the efficacy of it, or what is the secret of it? We cannot adequately say, but we—we, we, it is an act of devotion.
3: Yes, I I can understand this. Uh, I understand that this is the, the act of devotion, and moreover, it is uh, also the act of love, in my opinion.
0: Yes, yes, devotion and, means uh, love.
3: Yes, but I mean that, uh, like some real love, like when yes. you. Uh, when you um, like, um, uh, not even expect, but on the other hand, also expect something from this. Anyway, we expect that uh, grace uh, would work, let's say, better. And, yes. Uh, but um, uh, what I wanted to ask uh, this uh, can it be um, considered as a, a kind of tapas? I mean, uh, tapas, when you just uh, reject your body, because uh, I don't know, uh, maybe when uh, at Pahav- in Kahaban's days, maybe this path was uh, more sa- <laughs> was safer in the sense of that you, for example, don't step over something like broken glass or I don't know what else. Nowadays, you can meet uh, whatever things on the road. So I mean that... Um, if a person is a sensitive one and uh, just doesn't like to, I mean, to, to just punish uh, um, the body with such things, for example, and uh, can it be like, just you giving away you uh, the, uh, the very body to Bhagavan? I mean, they're just you, um, it's like, I mean, real tapas,
0: real, some some uh, strong tapas, like if you- Yes, we, we can also take it like that, but, we. But... Tapas seems to be tapas only if you're not doing it with love. When you do something with love, you don't feel the hardship of it. So if you really love to do giri productioner, okay, there may be a bit, little bit discomfort in the feet at first if you're not used to it, but it doesn't, it won't seem like a discomfort because you're doing it with love.
3: Yes, but I cannot understand. Uh, uh, I don't know. Maybe someone understands, but I somehow cannot grasp the very meaning of. Uh, just go in barefoot
0: okay maybe i just I it it know. is a thing in in most cultures of the world bare like like in, nowadays in 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 christian churches we enter people enter with their shoes on, yes. but in most cultures that would seem very very strange for example in you wouldn't enter a mosque with shoes on I'm not sure about the um about uh, um, synagogues, whether they wear shoes or not, but definitely mosque you wouldn't enter, um, a, a Hindu temple, uh, a Buddhist Vihara, um, a Jain temple, uh, a Sikh uh, Gurudwara, you wouldn't enter with shoes on. It's, it's just um, it, is, it is just a natural thing. And even in the Bible, that is the story of Moses when he saw the burning bush before the burning bush said, I am, that is the voice of God in the burning bush, said, I am but I am. Before that, God said, remove your shoes, for this is holy ground. So it is, it's a, it's, mm-hmm. it's a, a, a very, um, it's maybe something we have lost in our Western culture, p- mm-hmm. possibly partly because of climatic reasons. It's very much more difficult in a, if you're in a cold climate, to to go barefoot. Um, but, uh it's uh, in in earlier times i i i suspect even in churches uh, people would have gone barefoot in the very early days it, It's just a natural thing to do
3: I can understand it in churches because church uh, this is like some uh room i mean that's safe yeah. room uh, with, with, yeah. with normal with normal floor i mean in this sense yes but uh, but uh, there are the, uh, absolutely it's something different when you just uh, go in uh, by uh, just some road and uh, you can meet whatever on this
0: road. Yes, so. yes. Well, it, it but because we don't if you're doing gear reproduction, mm-hmm. though it may be a a, a road and now the road may be quite busy with um, with traffic. Mm-hmm. You're not. In your in your view, it is not the it is not a road. It is the Geiripræktinir route. It's the way around Arunachala. So, for what for someone who is doing Geiripræktinir, the the outlook on the road changes. You don't see the road as a road. You see the road as as, as a sacred path around Arunachala.
3: But why not to see in the same way this road, wearing your shoes?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> because uh, Arunachala is is the Adi Linga Sarupa. It is the original Linga form. Mm-hmm. So it is like in a temple. Mm-hmm. You, when you go round a temple, you go round without shoes on. because it it, it, whenever you do production of any holy shrine or any temple or anything, but, but it it is it is just the natural way because production is a type of worship or ador- it's 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 an an act of adoration let's say it's an act of love and it's just the natural thing to do i mean i i can't it's something that can't we can't explain with the intellect yeah. but we can feel it with our heart
3: mm-hmm. okay it, it just it
0: just feels so much more loving and respectful to do uh to do any sacred act barefoot mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm. okay okay thank you very much I think I, un- I understand. Yeah. I, th- I, mean, I think I understand the meaning. Uh, I I initially I, I understood the meaning I mean, I mean but somehow when I imagined so because sometimes you can meet whatever on the road so yeah. that, is, that is why I
0: just Yes. Yeah. So. Our, our our intellect can convince us of anything we want to be convinced of but if we follow our heart if we follow if we if we are attuned to bhagavan mm-hmm. to to the, of a love that Bhagavan had for our natural, if we, if we are attuned to that even to the slightest extent, then we will understand why walking barefoot is, is the natural and appropriate thing to do. Okay. And as far as the condition of the road is concerned, nowadays I believe they even have um, flat pavements around the road, so it oh. sounds like it's very much easier now than it was in the past. In, when in the years I was in Tiruvannamalai, by that time a lot of the roads had been tarred. That is from the, the Chengam Road, mm-hmm. uh, that is from from Tiruvannamalai to Chengam. That portion had been tarred. So the only untarred portion was when you we leave the Chengam Road, going round to Adiyanamalai, and come back onto the uh, road on the north side of the hill. That stretch was all. Uh, um was all unpaved. There was no it wasn't a tower road, it was a mud road. Mm
2: -hmm. Um
0: that is they put stones and they cover it with mud and it becomes hard and baked and it's um it's okay to walk on. It's a bit rough sometimes, but um and by the side of the road even where there's the tar road whenever any vehicle comes you have to step aside onto the side and often that'll be stony and so on so but if you're if you're used to it it's really um i mean i didn't i, I hardly noticed it at all because i've been doing it for so many years For people who aren't used to walking barefoot, it is a little difficult but it's not um it's but the thing is, if, if, you're, if, if you're very conscious of walking barefoot, there's a type of tension in your foot. And then even the smallest pebble will feel uncomfortable. Yes, okay. But if you, if you take your mind off the fact that you're walking barefoot mm-hmm. and, and just walk normally, it's, it's actually not difficult walking barefoot at all.
2: Mm-hmm. Okay. I understand what you mean. Yes. No. Okay. Thank you very much, Mike. Right, right. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, there are some questions now Michael. All right okay.
1: Oh so this is um so the question is uh in this path we have to surrender ourselves in order to gain liberation nirvana for eternity but i'm unwilling to do so though i have great love for bhagwan so can i ask arunachal bhagwan to give me a taste of this nirvana if i'm to turn my back uh to all including myself I feel it might be good for me to have a taste of what I will be gaining. I'm sorry if my question seems like a bargain. I don't mean it to. But I'm thinking of, of a way to surrender completely.
0: Okay. Um, I, I, the way you worded it is if surrender is necessary to, for nirvana. It is not necessary for nirvana. It is nirvana. That is, liberation and surrender are one and the same thing. Um, so we, we, we to the extent to which we are willing to surrender ourselves, to that extent can we begin to get an inkling of the joy, of infinite joy of nirvana. Of course, we, we can't experience that joy so long as we remain as ego. But to the extent to which we surrender ourselves, we can begin to experience at least an inkling of that, So, if you want to have a foretaste of that, at least surrender yourself to the extent you can. In Maharshi's Gospel, someone says to Bhagavan something to the effect of um, complete surrender seems to be impossible. And Bhagavan said, complete surrender may not be possible now, but at least partial surrender is possible, and partial surrender will lead to uh, complete surrender. In other words, we should surrender as much as we can. The more we surrender, the the more we will be drawn. Uh, the more we will uh, gain an inkling again, uh, an, uh, uh, and and. Uh, uh, not exactly a glimpse, that's not quite, it's difficult to put it into words, but we will begin to taste that is to the extent to which we surrender ourselves, to that extent are we free of so many problems, problems that seem to us to be so great before, to the extent to which we are willing to surrender ourselves just to accept things the way they are, to accept it all as Bhagavan's sweet will for our good, then even the greatest problems don't seem to be a problem at all. So we, the the proof is in the pudding. By following Bhagavan's path of self investigation and self surrender, we can experience it in our own life. We can experience. I mean, the the reward to the extent to which we turn our attention within, to the extent to which we thereby surrender ourselves, to that extent do we uh, begin to taste the reward of following this path. That's why the more we follow this path, the stronger our conviction becomes. This is the real meaning of Sraddha. Sraddha doesn't mean faith in the sense of blind faith, it's that clarity born of uh, practical experience. And the practical experience comes by following the path. Experience not in the sense of seeing some wonderful visions or having some ecstasy or anything like that. It, It is what we experience by subsiding cannot be expressed in words. But it's very clear that the more we subside, the ha- the happier we are. Or I, I it's it's very difficult to put it into words. If we want to, if we want to be convinced, we just have to do it. There's, there's no substitute in Bhagavan's path. There's no substitute for the actual practice. It's only to the extent to which we put it into practice. But we can really understand what Bhagavan is talking about. But we can really feel what he is saying. Is that an adequate answer to that question? Okay.
2: And the next question is. Uh... Can Abhiman be felt
1: towards Arunachala or Bhagwan? For example, when someone talks about Bhagwan's grace, it fills me with awe and pride. Uh,
0: yes, we can say it's a type of Abhimanam, but uh, that's a very good Abhimanam to have. Um, but it, it's more than just an Abhimanam. It's more than just a... That is the real love for Bhagavan. Is the love in which we lose ourselves, in which we melt? So it, um, though we, yeah, I, I understand what you mean. But it's, it, I mean, yes, we do have a type of pride in uh, in 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 Bagwan. I suppose I I can I can see that. But I I wouldn't really consider it as. Um, abhimanam in the same in the the same sense of uh of Dehabhimanam. that is we are we are drawn to bhagavan by love that's all we can say it's love is something so much greater than abhimanam we 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 lose all atta- we lose all identification all attachments by um by being attached to him we lose all attachments um so it is not an attachment like any other attachment and it's not a, an identification it's a, it's letting go of all identification that is the true surrender but of course words are, are grossly inadequate for expressing these things so some i mean it's not wrong to say that but it's not it's not perhaps not the most appropriate way to express the love we but bhagavan has has um, has um, has planted in our heart the love for him that he has given us.
1: The next question is, uh, is there a particular route you recommend for Pradakshina? I went around Arunachala with you in 1989-1990 and we went into Adi Anamalai temple and had darshan of a famous local saint, can't remember his name, uh, Ramat Kumar perhaps in a mantapam in Arunachaleshwara
0: temple. Um, that is in Adiyanamalai temple. Yes, I mean, the, the, the route around Arunachala is the main road around Arunachala. On the way, if we want, we can also go to Adiyanamalai temple. Um, uh, that's a very, very nice and very uh, generally a very quiet and peaceful temple. Um, that's on the way. I do remember Um, Once or twice, back in the 70s, that is, Ramsarat Kumar in those days used to sit in one of the mandapams in front of the main temple in the town. And I remember once or twice going there, usually at the request of someone who wanted to, to go and see him. I myself was never very impressed by him, but some people had to have a curiosity. So maybe you had asked me to take you to him. So I had taken you to him. As I say, only once or twice, I remember. Um, I remember once visiting him in that mandapam. And I remember one time he was in a house just near there. And there was some person who, he was having some sort of a, a, a mental breakdown or something, and he wanted me to take him to Ram Kumar. So once I took him also. Um, that's the only two times I remember um, going to Ram Um But the, the reason we would have gone to that mandapam was only because you, if someone had asked me to take them uh, there. Otherwise, we, we just normally come straight into the temple.
2: The next question is: uh, Upon being asked, is the
1: self aware that I am making efforts to realize him? Sri Ramana responded, "The ocean is not aware of its waves. Likewise, the self is not aware of of the ego. Then, how can the self bestow grace if it's not even aware of it?
0: <laughs> when we took that, they're in the question." When we talk of the self, what is, there's no su- to tell the truth, there's no such thing as the self. There's no such word in, in either Tamil or Sanskrit as the self. Firstly, they're not definite articles. And secondly, words that are translated as the self, they, I, either it, in Sanskrit the term Atman means oneself, well it can mean oneself yourself himself herself itself it depends on the context exactly the same with the tamil word tan um so when bhagavan talks about tan or atman he just means ourself um it's not some some thing called the self that ma- that makes it sound like it's an object something other than ourself when he wanted to refer specifically to ourself as we actually are, our real nature, the terms he used were swarupa or apma swarupa. Swarupa means, the literal meaning of swarupa is own form, but it means the nature or the real nature, the actual nature. So apma swarupa means the real nature of ourselves. So swarupa, when it's used on its own, implies apma swarupa. That means our self as we actually are. But that is often translated in English books as the self with a capital S. Firstly, there are no capital letters in, in Tamil and Sanskrit or in any Indian languages, and there are also no articles. By you, by translating terms like Atman or Swarupa or Tan as the self, we are we are reifying self. We are making it sound like it's some sort of an object. That is the, and this is why. A, a big dispute arose for, that went on for hundreds or th- thousands of years between Buddhists and Vedantins. The Buddhists said, there's no self. The Vedantins said, there is a self. Both missed the point because what does the word self mean? Is there any separate thing called the self? When we but Think about the way we use self in an ordinary language. is Take any object. See, there's a microphone here. Is this microphone and itself, are they two different things? No, they're one and the same thing. Itself is just a word, a pronoun that refers to the thing itself. So, so if I say I and myself, are I and myself, are there two things? No, there's only one thing. You and yourself, it's one thing. So self is not a separate thing. Self is just a, a pronoun that refers to the whatever thing, we we talk about it's, we, we talk about self as if it's a possession, but it's it's this is all the limitation of language. So we shouldn't think of the self as something anything other than ourself. What we actually are is, is what is crudely translated as the self. So um, our real nature, as Bhagavan said. Just like the ocean doesn't know the waves, our real nature is pure awareness. Pure awareness means awareness that is not aware of anything other than itself. So in its view, there is only pure awareness. So the, the, if we if we take the analogy of ocean, the ocean in this case we have to take an an ocean that is the ocean of pure awareness. So the ocean of pure awareness is aware of itself, but Bhagavan says it's not aware of the waves. That the waves are only in the view of others. In the view of the ocean, the waves are nothing but ocean. It's not it's it doesn't take the waves to be anything separate from itself. So does pure awareness know us? Yes, it knows us better than we know ourselves, because we know ourselves as "I am this person, I am Michael, I am whoever." Uh, that is a, a a a distorted awareness of ourselves, a mistaken awareness of ourselves, a wrong awareness of ourselves, because we are aware of ourselves as something other than what we actually are. Whereas pure awareness knows us as we actually are. So. It's only when we're thinking in very gross and dualistic terms, but these sort of questions will arise. What we actually are, our real nature, is infinite love. So what we call grace is nothing but that love. But we, as we actually are, have for ourselves as we actually are. And so Bhagavan, who is our own real nature, He doesn't see us as separate from himself, but he knows us better than we know ourselves because he knows us as we actually are. And because he doesn't see us as other than himself, he loves us as himself. So what does Bhagavan want from us? What is Bhagavan's will? His Bhagavan's will is that we should be happy because he he doesn't see us as other than himself. He knows himself as infinite happiness, infinite love. So he doesn't want us to be anything other than that. So um, whatever words we use, we are only very vaguely and inadequately pointing to the, what is our real nature. Our real nature is infinite love. Our re- that infinite love that we, as we actually are, have for ourselves as we actually are, is what we as ego experience as grace. The power that is drawing our mind back within. So when we try to understand these things with our mind, we will inevitably fail. If you want to see the the verse we talked about last time, last uh, um, two weeks ago, when we uh, I talked about verse thirteen, in which Bhagavan ends by, well, what Bhagavan says in that verse is "Om the import, the essence, the reality of Om, that the, that which the word Om refers to, in other words, we Illoi." You who are devoid of anything that is equal or anything that is superior—that is, you who are without anything uh, um, equal or superior, equal to yourself or superior to yourself, or you for whom there is there is not anything that is equal or superior Uneya ariva. Who can know you are a natural? when we know something we can know something by comparison by saying oh yes i i um uh, such and such a city is like such and such a city often we are knowing things by comparison but something that has for which present is not like anything how can we know it and um why is he without any equal or any superior? Because he alone exists. He is one without a second. So, so long as we are knowing multiplicity, we are not knowing arunachala. When we know oneness, what knows oneness is only the one that actually exists. That is arunachala. So, we can know arunachala only by being arunachala. So long as we remain separate from arunachala, we cannot know arunachala. Likewise, in the, the next verse, the verse we're going to be talking about next time is verse uh, 15, in which Bhagavan uh, sings, Hannuku um, Kannai, being the eye to the eye, kanindri Kanune, you who see without eyes, Kanu deva, who can see you, who, being the eye to the eye, see without eyes? That is, We can't see Arunachala so long as we remain separate from Arunachala. We can see Arunachala only by being one with Arunachala. So the prayer in the next verse is Pa Arunachala. Pa means see. It's only when Arunachala sees us in such a way that we see ourselves as he sees us, will we truly be seeing him. So long as we see ourselves as something separate from Arunachala, Separate from the pure awareness that we actually are, we cannot know it. So most of our questions arise because of our, because there's a fundamental flaw in our understanding. We are viewing things in in concrete terms. We are viewing things in dualistic terms, as if the self is some big thing other than ourself. Does that self up there, does that know me or does it not know me? We're asking these things without understanding, but what we call the self. Is nothing but ourself. It is we ourselves are, are that. But it is ourself as we actually are, our self devoid of adjuncts. Now, what is the difference between our real nature and ego? Are there two eyes? One eye, which is our real nature, and another eye, which is ego. No, there's only one eye. The same one eye, in its pure condition, is atmasarupa, our real nature. When that same eye which is pure awareness is mixed and conflated with adjuncts. As I am, I am this or I am that. I am such and such a person. I am this body. I am Michael. I am some such person. I am whoever. That is ego. So, the the real nature that is the real nature of ego is atmaswarupa. When, when we now we are aware of ourselves as I am this person, so we who are aware of ourselves as I am this person are ego. But if we turn our attention within to see who am I, we are leaving behind the adjuncts and trying to look to to be aware of that I alone. Then we are become aware of ourselves in our pure condition, devoid of all adjuncts. That is our real nature. That is what is very crudely translated as the self. It is not something other than ourself, it is what we actually are. I hope this is an adequate answer to that question. That that, that is, I've elaborated a little bit more, but the, the main point is our real nature, what we actually are, what you call the self, is pure love because in, it, in the view of ourself as we actually are, there is nothing other than ourself. And we love ourselves. So every we love everything because we, we are the only thing that actually exists. So though we, in our view, we seem to be something other than, our, than what we actually are, in the view of what we actually are, we are nothing other than that. So we... we it loves us as, as we actually are. But even to say it is misleading, because it's not a third person, it is the first person. That's why Bhagavan said, the greatest of all the Mahavakyas is, I am, I am is what I am, or I am I. What, what, what God said to Moses in the Bible, which is usually translated as, I am that I am, but I think the, the meaning of it is, I am is what I am. That, Bhagavan said, is the greatest of all the Mahabhakyas. Why? Because there's only one thing there, I and Am. <laughs> that the I and Am obviously are one and the same. Because I, Am is the existence of I. And I and its existence, obviously, not two different things. So, um, whereas in all the other Mahabhakyas, Aham Brahmasmi, it's as if there are two things. There's, a, there's Aham and Brahmas Brahman. Of course, there's no Brahman other than I but so long as we don't know ourselves as we actually are we are not knowing brahman as it actually is so brahman seems to be something other than ourselves that's why we say I, I aham brahmasmi we're trying to identify ourselves with that thing but brahman is just an idea for us until we know ourselves as brahman so if i think i am brahman i am identi- trying to identify myself with some idea i have about some very big thing or great thing or absolute or infinite thing um Tatvamasi. Tatvamasi is a very powerful mahavakya because it's turning our attention back to ourselves. But if we take it, if we go by the words alone, you've got two things there. You've got tat and tvum. The whole purpose of that mahavakya is to say there is no tat abhabun twum. You are that. There's no there's no separate thing. But so long as we're thinking in terms of you are that, you've got two, it's as if we, we we're creating an artificial uh, separation in order to again join it. This is why if you read books on Vedanta, there's so many books that say but analyze these Mahabakyas, and they say first you have to analyze the tumpada, the the, the Pada, but merely understanding about tum is not sufficient. You also have to understand tat, and you you then have to that is completely missing the point that, because they're trying to understand it philosophically, they're trying to understand it conceptually. But that's missing the point. The whole point of the Mahavakya is that there's no that other than you. So if you understand that, as Bhagavan says in verse 32 of Huludunakya, when the Vedas say, you are that, what should our response be? Our response should be, oh, if I am that, then what am I? We should forget about that because there's no that other than than I. So we should, so uh, the language language is always a problem. However well it's expressed, it always gives room for misinterpretation because no two minds will, will understand the same words in the same way. So though words, if they're understood correctly, can be useful pointers, pointers in the right direction, words can never adequately express the truth. That is why Bhagavan said, the only perfect language, the only language that can reveal the truth is silence, because silence is the very nature of the truth. Words are always, as Bhagavan said, from silence rises ego, from ego rises thoughts, and from thoughts rise words. So the words of a great-grandson of the original silence. So we we need to go be… it's useful to have an understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. Why? Because they're pointing us in the right direction. But if we don't understand the purpose of Bhagavan's teachings, if we don't understand the purpose of the Mahavakyas, the purpose of all of Vedanta, it's all pointing our attention back at ourselves. If we miss that point, we will go on philosophizing, and that's why there are volumes and volumes and volumes have been written on Advaita and on other interpretations of Vedanta. This is all because people are allowing their minds to go outward. Whereas the purpose of Vedanta, the purpose of the mahavakya is, is to turn our attention back to ourselves. Forget about that. There's no that other than you. You yourself are that. So investigate yourself, know yourself. That is the implication. But if we don't grasp that implication, we we allow the mind to 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 um Make everything very gross, and then we get into this idea of the self as if it's some big thing. And does that thing the self, does it know me or does it not know me? All so the the to, to answer these questions adequately or to remove these types of doubts, we need to refine our understanding. We need to read Bhagavan carefully and deeply, think deeply about what he means. And most importantly, we need to put it into practice, because only to the extent to which we put it into practice will the meaning of the words become clear. If someone gives you a map of a country you've never been to, you may be able to understand some of the symbols on the maps. Or oh, these lines are contour lines, so there must be a mountain here, or maybe it's a pit. They'll tell from the, from the lines whether it's a mountain or a pit, and you may be able to read, or oh, this sign means this, this. But you don't really know what that country is like. You can't picture in your... You can very vaguely form an idea. The map will become meaningful to you only if you take the map and go to that place. Then you will begin to recognize... When you see the actual places, oh, this is what was represented in the map by this symbol or by that symbol, it becomes meaningful to you only if you've been there. Likewise with Vedanta, we cannot understand Vedanta until we put it into practice. The deeper we go in the practice, the deeper will be our understanding. That's why the vast majority of volumes and volumes that have been written on Vedanta are just adding to the confusion because they, they were written by people who hadn't, who, who were missing the, the point, who hadn't understood what the practice is. If we understand what the practice is, if we've Put it into practice ourselves, then only we will begin to understand not just the surface meaning of the words, but the implication of words, what they are pointing at. So all of Vedanta, if understood correctly, is pointing our attention back at ourselves. Only to the extent to which we look at ourselves will we understand these things. And then once, when our understanding becomes more refined, there'll be no room for such doubts to arise. Because we, we, we will cease thinking in terms of the self, as if it's some, something other than ourself. There's no self other than ourself. We, we are self for ourself. I am I. I am myself. You are yourself. So there's no self other than yourself. The self you have to know is yourself, not any the self, any such thing of the self. I hope that's a... Uh, um, a clear and adequate answer to that question. But one, one thing in that connection, when we read books of dialogues with Bhagavan, the vast majority of people who asked questions didn't have a deep understanding of Bhagavan's teachings. So often Bhagavan had, was, was trying to, to get them to see things more deeply. Many of them didn't understand the point. So they'll ask Bhagavan one question and then they jump onto some other question that has no no connection. Instead of instead of going deeper and trying to understand what Bhagavan is saying. They jump off to some other question. They come with a list of questions in their mind and tick, 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 they ask all their questions and they go away satisfied. Yes, I've asked uh, Bhagavan all my questions, but they're missing the point because they haven't really listened to what Bhagavan was saying. Likewise, those who recorded Bhagwan's answers often didn't have such a deep understanding. So they recorded what they understood. They often missed the nuances in what Bhagavan was saying. They often missed the point of what Bhagavan was saying. So, to understand Bhagavan's teachings correctly, we cannot just rely on these books of dialogues. It's nice to read books of dialogues, we get something from them, but to really clearly understand what Bhagavan is talking about, we need to study his own original writings. And if we, if we don't know the Tamil, if we can't understand the Tamil, then we need to find good translations. Because many of the translations also, because the people who translated often didn't have such a deep or clear or subtle understanding, many of the translations are very far from adequate. That's why we find in these books full of terms like the self. And I hyphen I, and all these things, which is they were missing the point. They weren't understanding what Bhagavan was talking about. Oh, we have about seven questions, Michael. Yes, okay. So the silence didn't last long. No, it didn't. Ego, ego pops up again very quickly. <laughs> Such is the nature of ego.
1: The question is Michael, from what I understand, our real nature is to be, that is, being consciousness. In this state, we are Ananda fullness, happiness. But our knowing consciousness, which is rising by nature, seeks happiness in external objects, driven by vasanas. So are we saying that we stop acknowledging any object presented to our senses, or we do acknowledge, but simply realise them as born of our real nature and hence no
0: different from us? They are not born of our real nature, they are born of ego. As Bhagavan says in verse 26 of Uludhanaptu, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. Ego itself is everything. So all these manifold phenomena, in whose view do they seem to exist? Only in the view of ego. So they have no existence independent of ego. So so long as we are attending to anything other than ourselves, anything that appears or disappears, we who are attending to that are ego. So we are nourishing and sustaining ego by attending to anything other than ourself. This is what Bhagavan said in the previous verse, verse 25 of Uludanaptu, where he said, he described ego as a formless phantom because it's got no form of its own. And he says, grasping form, it comes into existence. That's grasping the form of a body, that implies, uh, taking that body to be I. Grasping form, it stands. That is, we can't stand for a moment as ego without continuing to grasp the form of this body as I. Grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. There he said, uh, uh, um, Uru, Urupatri undu. Urupatri means grasping form. Undu means feeding. So we, we, we are nourished by grasping form, by attending to all forms are above than ourselves because ego is formless so attending to any form is feeding and nourishing ego so so long as we are aware of anything other than ourselves, we are who are aware of that are ego it's only we as ego who are aware of other things so by being aware of anything else we are just nourishing and sustaining ego that is why in order to bring about the dissolution of ego we need to Instead of attending to anything other than ourselves, we need to attend to ourselves alone. That's why, in the same verse, Bhagavan says, "Tadinal otham If sought, that means if ego seeks itself to find out who am I, otham it will take flight, it will it will run away, it will disappear, because we seem to be ego only so long as we're attending to anything other than ourselves. Or aware of anything other than ourselves. We're aware of other things because we attend to them. If instead of attending to anything other than ourselves, if we try to attend to ourselves, in other words, if we stop looking outwards, if we look inwards to see who am I, there's no such thing as ego to be found. So ego seems to exist only so long as we're looking at other things. And those other things seem to exist only so long as we're looking at them because they don't have any existence apart from ego. So by looking at other things, we give rise to the illusory appearance of both subject and object. The subject is ego, the object says everything else. So, in, so long as we are aware of anything other than ourselves, we are nourishing and sustaining ego. That's why Bhagavan said, what does it matter, whatever appears? However many thoughts appear, so what? As and when each thought appears. That means as and when anything appears, because all, everything is just thoughts. As and when anything appears, we should investigate to whom it appears. Investigating to whom it pe- appears means we should be turning our attention away from the thing that has appeared back towards ourself, the one to whom it has appeared. So, so long as we're attending to anything other than ourself, we're nourishing and sustaining ego. The only way to, to bring about the dissolution of ego is to turn our attention away from whatever appears back towards ourself, the one to whom it appears. That is, it all appears to ego. If we turn our attention towards ego to see what is this ego, who am I? Ego as such will disappear and what will remain is the reality of ego, which is pure awareness. That is Satchitananda. That is what we actually are. Is that an adequately clear answer? Um, Yes, it is. Thank you so much, Michael. Right.
1: The next question is, uh, a few days ago, I had a mouth surgery, I was conscious. And so I was I was painfully aware that what I take to be myself is just flesh and blood. Since then, I have been in pain and unable to do much. I suffer from the situation. And so far, I have not been able to use this experience to turn within. I just feel depressed and wait for the pain to recede.
0: Why do you have to wait for the pain to recede, whether you're in pain or not in pain? Are you not aware of your own existence? Could you be experiencing pain if you didn't exist? So we are always, we always exist and we always are aware of our existence. Pain and the body of flesh and blood and all these things, they appear and they disappear. That is when you fall asleep, the, this body of flesh and blood disappears and so the pain disappears with it. But why did the body disappear? Because ego disappears. When ego disappears, everything else disappears because everything else seems to exist only in the view of ego. So the, the pain and everything else, all these things, cause us trouble only because we allow our mind to go out towards them. We allow ourselves to attend to them. So because we, we, we haven't yet gone deep enough in this path, so we find it difficult to resist the sway of vishaya So what is drawing your attention towards the pain? It's not the pain itself that is drawing your attention. It's your vishaya your inclination to attend to, those, to that pain. That is what is causing, uh, that is what's making you aware of the pain. So the only way to um, go beyond this is by patient and persistent practice. The more we practice, the less we will be affected by all these things. So, there, there is no shortcut. The only way is patient and persistent practice. However many times our attention may go outwards, we have to bring it back within, and we have to continue this practice. Whatever be the external circumstances, so whether we're in pain or whether we're in a very pleasant situation, whatever be the circumstances, we should be uh, we we should be trying as much as possible to turn our attention within. Only then will we get the 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 strength to avoid being swayed by those vishaya vasanas that cause us to 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 notice the pain. So don't be dejected just because of your failure. We cannot succeed in this path without failing. We will fail time and time and time and time again. But that is why Bhagavan said the only sign of progress is perseverance, because it doesn't matter how many times we fail, how many times we get carried away by our vasanas. We have to try again and again to bring our attention back because that is the only way to succeed in this path. So the those who succeed in this path are those who persevered. If we want to succeed in this path, we have to persevere. How long will it take? Who knows? It doesn't matter. If we are persevering, if we are trying to turn our attention back within more and more and more, it doesn't matter whether it's whether it's one year, two years, ten years, ten lifetimes, a hundred lifetimes, a thousand lifetime. We need to be persevering in the practice, however long it takes. Because this is the there is no shortcut. There is no other way. This is the only way is to turn our attention back to ourselves. So this is the only way to deal with any type of difficulties, whether it's physical pain or mental pain. Sometimes in life, we face, for example, we face bereavement. Those who are very dear, near and dear to us um, are taken away by death. Then we feel we, we're not feeling physical pain, but we're feeling a, a far deeper pain. We're feeling the mental pain, the anguish, the bereavement, the, the great loss of losing those who are near and dear to us. But all these we will experience these only to the extent that we allow ourselves to be swayed by our Vesheya vasanas So how can we avoid being swayed by our Vesheya vasanas So long as our Vesheya vasanas are strong, we will keep on be failing and being carried away by them. The only way is to weaken them, and we can weaken them only by persistent practice of self-attentiveness. Because vasanas have no strength of their own. Whatever strength they seem to have, they derive from us. And how they derive their strength from us, when we allow ourselves to be swayed by them, we are thereby strengthening them. When we refrain from being swayed by them, we are weakening them. So if we cling to self-attentiveness or to the extent to which we cling to self-attentiveness, we are thereby strengthening the sattvasana and weakening all the vishaya varsanas. Because when we're holding on to self-attentiveness, we're not being swayed by the vishaya varsanas. As soon as, our, as we're swayed by the vishaya varsanas, our attention slips away from ourselves towards other things. So practice is the only way to succeed in this path. So don't be dejected. Don't be depressed just because you fail. We all fail. Anyone who has followed this path has failed countless number of times. But we have to persevere until finally we succeed. So the the, the road to success is paved with failure. Someone who has never failed has never tried and therefore will never succeed. So those who succeed are those who have failed many times. Because if you try, inevitably, but that's so. Even with ordinary worldly undertakings, we have to fail so many times before we succeed. How much more true is this of this spiritual undertaking? This is the greatest of all undertakings. So we have to be ready for any amount of failure. Who am I who keep on failing? We need to turn our attention back to ourselves. We need to turn even the failure, we need to turn to our advantage. Who is feeling dejected? Who is feeling depressed about having failed to, um, um, to, um, to ignore the pain? In th- th- that way, we need to take every opportunity to turn our attention back to ourselves. Doesn't matter how many times it slips away again, we try to turn it back again. Every time we try to turn our attention back to ourselves or try to hold on to that self-attentiveness, we are getting closer and closer to our goal. So let us not be dejected, let us just carry on. The next question is uh, Dear
1: Michael, such a mystery and a comedy is the spiritual goal, the spiritual life of realizing the unreality of the ego. Is it more than um, is it more than just a paradigm shift between the reality or unreality
0: of the ego? What does reality and unreality mean? Reality means what actually exists. Unreality is what doesn't actually exist. Ego doesn't actually exist. The reality of ego, what what underlies the appearance of ego, is what alone is real, namely the pure awareness I am. Um, So... It's not, but we'll, ego will still be there, but we'll recognize it as unreal. So long as we see ego, it seems to be, or, or so long as we, we see anything other than ourselves, ego seems to be real. Because what is seeing things, other things, is ego. Because we never actually see ego. We only see, infer the existence of ego because we're seeing other things. If we turn back within to see what is this ego, we don't find any such thing. And and when ego dis- when. Ego is found to be non-existent. Everything else will be found to be non-existent. So in a sense, we can say, yes, it's a paradigm shift, but it's a very, very major paradigm shift. It's the the difference between seeing multiplicity and seeing ourselves as one thing among all those multiple things and seeing ourselves as we actually are, which is the one, indivisible, infinite, pure awareness. Pure love, pure happiness, pure being. But we actually are. So this is this is why this is a this is a very major undertaking. This isn't an ordinary thing we are trying to do. This isn't just some small um, small slight change of outlook. In a sense, it is just a small change of outlook. But that small change of outlook is a very major has has major. Repercussion, because it brings the whole universe. It, it, as Bhagavan said, it's like the, uh, when the atom bomb of jnana falls, it will destroy all the myriad of universes, like a, like a spark in, uh, uh, it falling in a bale in a in a in a in a, uh, um, in a bale of uh, cotton. It all gets burnt in in a in a thrice. So, yes, it is a small change of outlook, but it's also a very, very major change of outlook because it changes everything. Or rather, it brings all change to an end. And what always is remains as it always is, and nothing has ever happened. The words will always be inadequate. However we try and put it, it will always be inadequate. That's why we confine the truth only in the silence silent depth of our own heart.
1: There's a question I think that Jussi would like to ask.
3: I just thought once that um, we are talking about uh, heart-melting love for Bhagavan. Yes. And uh, that uh, it is very important. I mean, it is very formal words, of course, because what important it, it doesn't express. Uh, the meaning, but I mean that we just have to have this love uh, to really um, become ourselves. I mean, to become, yes, yes. Uh, <clears throat> but what I wanted to ask, and together, well, and today, uh, of course, we, you also uh, was again explaining these things that, um, uh, first of all, we have to have love for our, for our real nature. Of yeah. course, uh, Bhagavan is embodiment of, uh, let's, if we can, of course, we can say this because we have to say something. I mean, but,
0: Bhagavan is our real nature. Yes, yes, the exactly. Embo- the embodiment is not Bhagavan. Yes, it, that it is. It, the this embodiment is, our, is how Bhagavan appears to us, but what exactly. Bhagavan actually is, is our real nature.
3: Exactly. It's just because of these traps of language. So
0: that's yeah, yes, it, uh, yes. it's always a problem.
3: Yes, so uh, what I want to say that uh, uh, I just thought that um, and Pagavan also says that the uh, strongest love we have to ourselves. Yes. So, and uh, also the uh, way of realizing our real nature is to Constantly direct uh, our attention to ourselves. Yes. And uh, and then when you do it, uh, it seems there is no space and there is no room for anyone else and anything else.
0: Yes.
3: And for Bhagavan too. Because Bhagavan. There is
0: space only for Bhagavan.
3: Yes, but <laughs> he
0: is ourself.
3: Yes, 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 yes. But but it is all about I.
0: Yes. Or yes. I am. Yes.
3: So I mean that um, it seems that the strongest love we have to have for us again. Yes. We understand that Prahavan is, I mean, to me it's obvious absolutely that Pragavan is the best something, the best thing that can happen to anyone. Yeah. It's to me, it is obvious. But again, uh, the love, we ha- it seems that we have to have the, the strongest love, uh, not even to Brahman, but to ourselves. Yes, uh, uh, And uh, uh, because actually we have the same nature as Prahavan has, that is why, <clears throat> but not that is why, I mean that, uh, so so this heart melting love for Brahman. It is more uh, to me. It, maybe it is more like um, uh, this um, something devotional, some, some like uh, uh, how to say, like this dualistic way of uh, of love. Because I mean that when when you investigate, when you do self investigation, there is no place for Kagavan
2: Then Sh- um, I mean Sri Ramana. I mean in this yeah. sense.
0: Yeah, that is we, the outward form, there's no place for it, but the reality of Bhagavan is what we are investigating. What about um, what, what to do with, with heart melting love then? Okay, I'll just give one example where Bhagavan has used, I mean, Bhagavan often talked of heart melting love, but just one example where Bhagavan used this term, uh, uh, this phrase, heart melting love. Mm-hmm. Um, in the verse, when when Bhagavan was asked his his real identity, whether he is an incarnation of Subramania or Shiva or this this god or that god, he wrote a verse. In, in the first two lines of that verse, Ariyati Tarajibara, Dahabari, Jugohail, Ari Bairami, Arunachala Ramana. What that means is Arunachala Ramana is the Paramatma but exists. Blissfully exists as awareness in the cave of the heart lotus of all different jivas, beginning with Hari. Hari means Lord Vishnu. Mm-hmm. So, from the highest God to the lowest uh, ant or insect, that in the heart of all jivas, that which is shining as awareness, as the fundamental awareness I am, that is Arunachal Ramana. So, that's what he says in the first two lines. But it is not the nature of Bhagavan to tell us something and to say, I told you that, now you have to believe it. What Bhagavan does, he shows us how we can find, make an ex- how we can find this out from our own experience. So the second two lines is the key to how to, how to know this for ourselves. He begins the third line with the words parival, ul ul, parival which means by love ulam means heart, Uh, uruha, melting, heart melting by love, or heart melting with love, Um, paranandidu guheyandu, reaching the cave where the the sublime supreme dwells, uh, that means the heart melting with love go, that implies going within the cave where that dwells is 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 it the cave of our own heart so it's only within so entering that cave or reaching that cave uh, uh heart melting with love reaching that cave uh arivam tirava, the eye of awareness opening uh arivai, you will know the reality you will know your real nature uh Adu valiyam, it will reveal itself. So there Bhagavan is clearly not talking about anything dualistic because he's already said Arunachya Ramana is that which is existing, in, is shining in the heart, uh, shining blissfully in the heart as awareness. And then he says, heart melting with love, entering that cave, entering the cave of the heart where he dwells, the eye of awareness will be open. So Bhagavan is there, When the heart melts with love, the attention will turn within. That is the implication. If if we recognize the the true form, though Bhagavan appears outwardly in human form because we're looking outwards, his true form is that which is shining in our heart as I am. If we understand that and are truly convinced of that and we truly love him, our mind will automatically turn within with heart-melting love in order to know who am I. And without heart-melting love, um, no one can succeed in this path.
3: Uh, y- they, they, mm-hmm.
0: Once someone asked uh, Sadhuam, we, we never see you with closed eyes or meditating or anything. So how have you followed this path? And Sadhuam then wrote a verse, in which he introduced a verse of Murgana and what and what Saddam said in the verses, but in the following verse, the secret of how to succeed in this path is given. And then in the, in the he the verse of Murgana, but he quotes: Murgana said, After weeping and weeping and weeping uh, uh, at, at my failure to turn within. When finally, I can't remember the exact words, but it's something to the effect. Finally, when he rose from within and pulled me within. So the import of Muruganav's verse is, in in short, but unless we melt and melt and melt with love, unless we melt in an ocean of tears, as Bhagavan says, or a river of tears, as Bhagavan says in one of the verses of Akshraamalai, we cannot succeed in this path because the love that we require that is, In order to succeed in this path, we must be willing to surrender ourselves completely. And we won't surrender ourselves completely until our love is so overwhelming, that it consumes everything else. So we need to have the highest and most intense love. That is why it's described as heart melting with love. The, the, the body melting in a river of tears, Bhagavan says. These are all ways of describing the intensity of the love but is required in order to succeed in this path. So when, when Bhagavan or Murugana or Sadhuam or any of these people talk about heart melting with love, they are not talking about love for something external, love for our own reality, love for the true form of Bhagavan, the true form of our natural which is ever shiny in our heart as I
3: when you understand that uh, the most when you understand the teachings right when when uh, when yes, yes. showed you showed you the way already when you have uh, this understanding and you yes. understand why are you going to do this yes for example for, for to do self investigation uh, and you understand that uh, prabhavan's nature and your nature is one yes then you just follow the teachings yes. uh, follow the, uh, this um, past Yes, and uh, this, this uh, when and and it, I, I think it is like something natural that uh, uh, let's say automatically happens uh, with understanding, with yes. appreciation. Right? You you just appreciate the, the, yes. you understand what is what is going on, what is meaning of yes. all this, yes. and uh, in this uh, moment, uh, love increases, and yes. uh, mm, and the more you because actually the 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 thing is that um, i think when you when you when you do self uh, inquiry you you just you just uh, you just absolutely like uh, is going is going to be absorbed I and mean, that it is just like yes um I'm, i don't know uh, okay maybe
0: uh, be- i i think i know what you're saying that mm-hmm. is What you say about regarding understanding. In order to follow Bhagavan's path, we need to understand his teachings. We can follow his path only to the extent to which we understand his teachings. The more we understand, more clearly and deeply we understand his teaching, the deeper we'll be able to go within. And conversely, the deeper we go with him, the more clearly and correctly we'll understand his teaching. Michael, so, can I ask you, sorry, that I interrupted you. But... Can I just finish saying this? Oh, okay. So, so under, uh, understanding is not our goal but understanding is the means without proper understanding we won't un- we we won't know how to follow this path so we can follow this path only to the extent to which we understand it and we can understand it only to the extent to which we follow it so as we go deeper and deeper in following this path our understanding will grow deeper and more mature and more- then we will understand the connection between the heart melting love and going within but for people who 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 haven't put this into practice this is just words and they think heart melting love it immediately suggests dualistic devotion but that is because of a the because we haven't yet gone deep enough in this path but if we go deeper and deeper in this path we'll understand that the true heart melting love can when the heart melts the attention can only go within so long as the attention is going outwards the heart is not really melting that's but, true. That the, the yes. melting heart, in the deepest sense of the term, of will automatically—that is, the subsidence of ego—is the melting of the heart. Yes, exactly. They're synonymous.
3: Yes, I, I just, um, I just wanted to say that because when you mentioned, when you mentioned, when we are talking now about teachings, also, I mean that you have to understand teachings. Teachings, um, as I understand, that uh, the 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 uh, most important thing in teachings is, is to understand that uh, i mean meaning of uh, self investigation right when you yes. understood already yes. that uh, the only thing that you have to do is to direct your attention within yes. this is actually the only thing that you at all have to understand in this teaching
0: yes but we, that is everything that bhagavan has taught us is pointing towards this but when you say, this is all we have to understand, to what extent do we understand what it means to turn our attention within? We can understand what it means to turn our attention within, only to the extent to which we've actually turned our attention within. So, the understanding is not just a conceptual understanding. That is, but. Initially, we need a clear conceptual understanding of Bhagavan's teaching because that points us in the right direction. But the real understanding is not merely a conceptual understanding, it's a deep inner clarity. And that inner clarity comes to the extent to which we turn within. And to the extent to which we gain that inner clarity, the words of Bhagavan's teachings will become more and more meaningful to us.
3: But... uh... Do you agree that this is, the only, uh, this is the most important thing that has to be understood?
0: It is not the most important. It's the only important thing that needs to yes. be understood. But it needs to be understood, not just at the verbal level, not just at the conceptual level. What does it actually mean to term within? Do we yes. understand that? If we really understood what it means to term within, we would have been swallowed already. So this is a path of investigation. It's a path of discovery. So how can we find out what it means to turn within only by turning within? The more we turn within, the more clear what it means to turn within will be. We talk about self self-attent- being self attentive. What does it mean to be self attentive? The only way to find out is to try to be self attentive. The more we are self attentive, the clearer the way becomes. That is why Bhagavan called this path Vichara. Vichara means investigation. It's a path of discovery, and we can we we can we can discover. Only by putting it into practice. The more we put it into practice, the more subtle and refined and deeper uh, understanding will become. And the deeper, more subtle understanding, the d- deeper we'll be able to go within.
3: Yes, yes, uh, yes. I just wanted to say that um, uh, everything uh, goes uh, just down to to this thing, and uh, this, uh, and uh, I think uh, heart melting love is also uh, appears. the deeper deeper we go within.
0: Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Our heart will melt only to the extent to which we turn within and uh, enter the heart.
3: Yes, in this this sense. Because
0: there's a great fire of jnana uh, raging in our heart, so long as we're looking outwards, we're not feeling that. The mm-hmm. deeper we go within, the closer we'll come. It's like taking a, it's like um, taking a ball of wax close to the sun. It will, the closer it gets to the sun, the more it will melt. So likewise with our, with our, um, with our outward going attention. The more it turns within, the more it will automatically melt with love.
3: Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much. So
0: this is Bhagavan's path. Is the ultimate path of love? People think think the path of bhakti and the path of jnana are two separate paths. They are not. That is, we can follow the path of bhakti in a dualistic sense. That is also a path of bhakti. I don't deny that. But if we want to go deep in the path of bhakti, it's only that is when we go deep in the path of the deeper, um, the deeper. practices of bhakti is what is otherwise called jnana so in a deeper sense bhakti and jnana are absolutely one and the same inseparable yes because we are surrendering to our real nature exactly exactly and what is surrender will you surrender without great love i mean what else would motivate us to surrender ourselves to our own reality other than all consuming love for that
3: Yes, which uh, the, this love also it uh, it is. I mean, it appears um, uh, because of some reasons when you start just understanding.
0: So the melting heart is—is is it self surrender? Is it self subsidence of ego?
3: Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you.
0: Right.
1: Yeah the next question is uh, what were Ramana's opinions on music and its capacity to purify the mind what literature and activities did uh, Ramana
0: recommend to supplement our practice I don't know if one ever said anything specifically about um music music per se is is that that is music can be used as a vehicle for devotion um just that, Bhagavan, um Bhagavan did sing, and I believe he could sing well, but uh, Bhagavan was primarily a poet. So, for example, in Aksharamulai, in the other hymns of Arunaksha, Ar- he's expressing his love through the medium of poetry. Um, and the same can be sung. And um, uh, among Bhagavan's devotees, Murugana, if he was a great poet, he... he Mulder was not a great musician, but he knew enough about music. He could set the, the appropriate raga and tala for each of his songs. If he, if he was asked, he knew what, what was the proper way of singing it, though he himself uh, couldn't sing. Sadhu was actually a very talented, though Sadhu wasn't trained in music, he was a very talented, he had a natural talent in music. So Sadhu has has... Um, has sung uh, many songs of of not only great poetic uh, uh quality but great musical quality um so from the though bhagavan didn't talk specifically about music like any art form like poetry or music these can be means by which we express our devotion quite, quite natural means because um it, it, th- that is the, the right type of music with the right type of words can have a very melting effect on the mind when you listen to to truly devotional uh, um, songs. Particularly if you understand the meaning, it can have a it can have a uh, a very powerful effect on the on the heart, on the mind, and the heart. So it 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 it, it can have a uh, it it can be um, be beneficial, but obviously we, that, that is these are more outward things. But the, the Bhagavan's path is primarily a path of going within. So the the, the possibly the, the music and the songs and everything, this is a way for channeling our love. But we always have to remember where that love is to be directed. It is to be directed within. Because where is Bhagavan? Where is our natural only shining within our heart as I? So these things uh, can play a role, but it, it, it can also become a distraction. If you're, if you're very enamored by the music and you're just into uh, attending to the musical quality, you may miss the underlying purpose of the music, underlying purpose of the songs, which is to melt our heart with love with love to turn within, that is. That's the whole purpose of of everything, everything that Bhagavan has taught us and everything that we will find in the, the verses of Murgana or Sadoam or any of the uh, uh, great poet devotees. It's all for turning our attention back within. To have more and more love, to give ourselves wholly to Bhagavan. And we can give ourselves wholly to him only by turning our attention within as Bhagavan said in the um, in the first sentence of the thirteenth paragraph of Nana, what if, he Bhagavan there defines what is giving ourselves to God. But Amma tabera, except for Apma in other words, except for self-attentiveness, there a not giving even the slightest room to the raising of any other thought atmanishtha being as atmanishtha Paran, that being established as oneself. How are we established as oneself ourselves? By just attending to ourselves and not to anything else. And that being as paran is giving ourselves to God. So the implication there is we can give ourselves to God only by turning within. So that is the what all of Bhagavan's teachings are pointing at, and that is what all the the, the the thousands and thousands of verses sung by Murugan and Sadhuam and others, what they're pointing at is only this.
1: The next question is, I find it hard to keep self-attention when I'm in communication and interaction with my partner. Can you please guide me to keep internal, to keep or to be internal and self-focused and yet continue such interactions?
0: This is all possible only by practice. The more we practice, the more the love to to be self-attentive will be there. Supposing some very dear friend of yours or or very close relative or someone who's very dear to you, supposing they're in hospital, they're in critically in the ICU, maybe with COVID or with an accident or something. And the doctors are not able to say whether they're going to survive or not. It's just a matter of uh, touch and go. Whatever you may be doing, will your mind not, will not the thought of your friend often be coming to your mind? You may be talking, you may be at work in the middle of a business meeting talking about business matters, still the thought of your friend will be coming to your mind. Whatever you may be engaged in, the thought of your friend will be keep on coming to your mind. Why? Because you have so much love and care and concern for your friend. If you have so much love, and concerned to know what you actually are, you will find your attention will be going towards yourself, whatever may be going on externally. If it is not, if if our attention keeps on coming outwards and keeps on being distracted and we keep on forgetting about self-attentiveness, that just shows our love is still at a very immature stage. And for that, I first volunteer. I'm. I'm. I. I am as. Uh, I'm very well aware of my lack of uh, of real love for this path. But the only way to succeed is to persevere in trying, 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 trying. That's what Bhagavan has told us. We can. All of us can succeed in this path. All we need to do is to persevere. So, however many times we feel we are failing, we we are getting carried away. Um. By by um, other thoughts, other cares, other concerns, and everything, we just have to. The only way is to bring our attention back to ourselves again and again and again. There is no other way.
2: So try to be
0: self attentive as much as you can, whenever you can, and it will slowly, slowly take over your life. But patient perseverance is required. That is the only way to succeed. So whoever has succeeded in this path, they have patiently persevered. We all face the same obstacles. And we all have the the way to succeed is the same for all of us. The next question is, I read something, but I don't know.
1: Where it's from. It was about Sri Ramana saying that there's not one place on Arunachala Hill that his foot hasn't touched. Thank you for talking about walking barefoot. Uh, it made me feel mo- uh, more like walking barefoot even here.
0: Yes, I, 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 I'm not Bhagavan did say something to that effect. That is, in the early days when there weren't many people about, Bhagavan wandered all over the hill. And one thing Bhagavan said, Wherever he went on the hill, it, every nook and cranny and corner that he went to seemed to him so familiar that he, even the places, when he visited them for the first time, it was as if it, it, he knew the place so well. Why is that? Because he is our natural. So there's nothing about Arunachala that is not familiar to him because he himself is Arunachala. He is Arunachala in human form.
1: So the next question is, how is it that Satvasana finally surrendered?
0: The Satvasana surrendered. What needs to be surrendered is ego. The Satvasana is the love to surrender ego. When ego is surrendered, then we go beyond all vasanas. But until ego is surrendered, that we should be cultivating more and more sat vasana, more and more love to turn within and to surrender ourselves completely.
1: Yeah. So the question is, please ask if love and devotion are not a dualistic action because there are two elements.
0: If there are two elements, if it's one thing loving another thing, then it's dualistic. But in the, the true love that Bhagavan is talking about, there are no two things. What we are loving, that is Bhagavan or Arunachala, whatever we call whether you say Arunachala or Ramana or Arunachala or Ramana, that name refers to what? That name refers to our own reality. So what is shiny in our heart as I, That is Arunachala. So, when we have love for Arunachala or for Bhagavan in his true form, as I am, then there's no duality there because they're not two things. We are loving ourselves. That is, many theologians argue that love is always for another, but they overlook. The very simple fact, that Bhagavan points out in the very first sentence of, of, uh, of Nana, that for everyone, the greatest love is only for oneself. We all naturally love ourselves above all other things. Now, because we mistake ourselves to be a person, because I mistake myself to be a person, I love Michael so much because Michael seems to be myself. But that is a that is a misplacement of my self-love but true love but that is the, the love self-love in its pure form is love only for our own being, for I am, and there's no duality there at all because it's we loving ourself, we and ourself are not two different things so the the true devotion the true love, the deeper love is there are no two things there, so long as you've got two things. That that love is partial. Because you if if you if you love something other than yourself, if you take God or Bhagavan or Arunachal to be something other than yourself, your love has been divided between your love for yourself and your love for uh, Bhagavan. Because as Bhagavan said, You have great, however great your love for Bhagavan may be, you've got still greater love for yourself. So your love for Bhagavan can become complete and all-consuming. Only when you recognize that Bhagavan is nothing but yourself. Then, when your love for your Bhagavan is directed within to Bhagavan who is shining in your heart as I, that is the fullness of love. So, dualistic love is always imperfect. But the perfect love, the pure love, is non dualistic. It's love of myself for myself. Uh,
1: The next one is. Um, recently, I realized that I've had vasanas inside me, though I didn't do anything bad. The very existence of vasanas troubled me. Do we need to do anything to eliminate these vasanas?
0: We all have vasanas inside us, whether we're aware of it or not. Vasanas are just our inclinations. So, yes, we have, to, we have to eliminate all inclinations. The inclinations we have are of two kinds. One kind is sattvasana, the inclination to turn within and just to be as we actually are. The other kind of vasana is vishaya vasana. There are innumerable vishaya vasanas. Vishaya means any object or phenomena. So our inclination to attend to anything other than ourselves is a a vishaya vasana. Vasanas are not something, ego is not its vasanas. But it's the very nature of ego to have basenets, and basenets are the, ego, the ego's inclinations. So um, the the, 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 the have no existence independent of the ego, whose inclinations they are. Um, so we uh, we we can the, the, whatever strength basenets seem to have, they derive from us. Um because if we invest our own strength in Bhabasanas, that is if you have an inclination, certain inclination, so you've you've got an inclination to um for a particular you know, supposing you particularly like to eat tasty food. So you've got inclination whenever um, the thought of food comes, you want to eat uh, food. That's your inclination. Even when food isn't available, you still like to think of food, this tasty meal, that tasty meal, or that. So your your mind is often dwelling on, on such things. The more you dwell on such things, and the more you indulge that vasana, the stronger it will become. If on the other hand, you begin to think, what is this? Am I living just to eat food? What is this food? It's a temporary, gives some little uh, 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 titillation to the tongue. But is this really the purpose of life, just to enjoy good food? So if you begin to discriminate and begin to... To lose interest in the thought because you don't dwell on those thoughts more. They get weaker and weaker and weaker. So vasanas are strengthened to the extent to which we allow ourselves to be swayed by them. They are weakened to the extent to which we don't allow ourselves to be swayed by them. So when we are practicing self-investigation, we are holding on to self-attentiveness. That means we are being swayed only by the sattvasana. And because we're holding on to self-attentiveness, we're not allowing our attention to go out towards other things. So we are not being swayed by the Vishayabhasanas. So by practicing self-attentiveness, we are strengthening the satvasana and weakening the Vishayabhasanas. And this is the only way to succeed. Only by patient and persistent practice of self-attentiveness can we slowly weaken the Vishayabhasanas and strengthen the satvasana. Until the satvasana becomes so strong, it overwhelms the vishaya vasanas, then we are able to turn our attention 100%, uh, 180 degrees back within, and then ego merges back in its source. It's dissolved in the light of clear awareness, and when ego is dissolved, all its vasanas and all vishayas are dissolved along with it, and then what remains is the pure awareness that we actually are. That is Bhagavan,
2: that is Arunachala.